a few months from now, we are going to see the sale of Barbie-related goods and merchandise and Mattel toys go through the roof for a movie that wasn't even made for kids. It was PG-13. How did they do it? The first thing is they were calculated. They planned. It was an over 18-month planning timeline to market this movie. Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like, try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all-new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI-powered help desk and chatbots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. On today's show, we're talking all about Barbie and the marketing genius that it was and how you can make a killer brand without spending the $150 million like Mattel did. And later in the show, we're going to give you the secrets to great brand marketing. I'm your co-host, Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot. I'm joined by my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, the CMO at Zapier. And this is Marketing Against the Green, your show for marketing-minded people everywhere. Let's get into it. Okay, so Kieran... I was on the Netflix last night and, you know, I was looking at what new shows came out, seeing what was happening. And I looked and the number 10 show in the United States was a weird animated Barbie cartoon from 2012. And that is the moment that it hit me that Barbie, Mattel, they have conquered the marketing world. They have done the best brand marketing campaign of the last decade around the Barbie movie, including the Barbie movie. Is it reaching all the way across the ocean? Are you feeling it in Ireland? Are you seeing it on the internet? What's your take? There's two things going on there. I think they've run an incredible marketing campaign, but also it's a testament to Netflix have no real money left anymore. And they're just like, (laughs) they're just bringing shows back from like 10 years ago to actually stock their shelves. When I actually started doing some of the research for this show, I was actually pretty amazed by some of the marketing campaigns, the creativity, like how they actually brought it all together. So I think it's pretty a phenomenal job. It's like pretty amazing that they spend 145 million on the production of the movie and 150 million on the marketing budget. And so it does show you the power of like, if you really nail marketing, it can be such a growth flavor for your brand, for your movie, for whatever you are doing with that amount of money. Yeah, what is crazy is that Barbie doubled Oppenheimer at the movies, and that's not even the best outcome. The fact is that in a few months from now, we are going to see the sale of Barbie-related goods and merchandise and Mattel toys go through the roof for a movie that wasn't even made for kids. It was PG-13. How did they do it? The first thing it is they were calculated. They planned. It was an over 18-month planning timeline to market this movie. If you look here, here's a great example where you've got Barbie took over an entire pool and not just a pool, one of the most iconic pools on Bondi Beach in Sydney. So not just... I've been there. Uh, yeah, I've been there too. It's an amazing, amazing place. Cool place. And you, there's no way that you're going there, you're choppering over Bondi, you're going anywhere around Bondi and not being clear that the Barbie movie is coming, which is pretty incredible, right? That that they would spend this type of money. But most companies that would spend $150 million marketing a movie or a product would throw most of it on TV and some social types of things. No, no, not Mattel and not the folks at Barbie. One of my favorite things they did, Kieran, 
They've done a bunch of really cool merch partnerships where they partnered with shoe brand Aldo to do a whole line of Barbie shoes with specific Barbie packaging. You know what the lead time on this is? 18 to 24 months to do a kind of collab like that because you have to design the shoes, produce the shoes, get them in store ready and everything for when this movie is going to come out. So the coordination it takes to make marketing magic around a specific point in time is huge. And that's one of the things that I think they did incredibly well. And no matter how much money you have to spend on building your brand, you can do the same thing. You can plan, you can orchestrate, and then you can also solve for what your audience wants. With this marketing campaign, Kieran, clearly what they solve for is we are solving for targeting people who are, you know, 20 to 40, who grew up with Barbie, who are now adults who want to see a PG-13 rated movie, buy some Barbie-related merch, and tap into the nostalgia of their youth. And they killed it. Like my inbox last week, every third email had something to do with Barbie. Right. It was unbelievable. Yeah, they had a pretty good diversification of use of that money. They, they spent a lot of it across social media influencers, TikTok influencers. So they really kind of plugged into the internet culture. The thing that you're calling out is they did actually over a hundred brand partnerships, which is pretty incredible. Crazy. And the, the partnerships were like really different. So they kind of licensed their IP to brands to be able to like take that IP and create products from it. They did deals with likes of targets to like shelf different toys and like a, a whole part of the store. So they had like a hundred different partnerships, all kind of merchandising the brand. They had like incredible in-person events. I don't know if you went to the cruise they did down in Boston. No. They jumped on the bar. They did a cruise in Boston? No they way. They did like a Barbie cruise down in Boston. Some of the most, I think, creative things they did were these in-person kind of experiential marketing. So yes. the one that caught everyone's attention to begin with was this 3D model. Pretty incredible 3D example of, I don't know what's a 3D example of, a Barbie jumping out of the kind of <laughs> packaging. But I saw a lot of people trying to figure out how they actually did this. Mm -hmm. And I do not know how they did this. Like, is this digital? I assume this is like a digital... I think it's some type of digital it does not look digital because it doesn't even kind of like, be, right? given the size of it, you could not tell that that is like digital. I assume it is digital. They have not built like a giant Barbie robot. That would be kind of insane. <laughs> so they did some incredible in-person experiential marketing. The other one that I really love that you and I had talked about was the partnership they did with Airbnb. Like when you yes. first think about what this brand is going to do with their marketing budget, I wouldn't have put Airbnb on the kind of list of partners no, that they no would chance. do something with. But they created this pretty incredible house in Malibu, old pink you're able to actually go and rent that out in Airbnb. You could actually win, I think, a stay in it. Like who wouldn't want to rent this out on Airbnb, That's incredible. right? incredible. But just Seriously. another example of, hey, not just taking the money and spending in very uniformed way that most brands actually do. Like, yes, you have a big budget. Yes, you are doing things that you can do a lot of like creative things with that, but not many brands do. They kind of all follow some sort of formulaic strategy and how they spend that money. I think this is a really good example of like, oh, I can take my brand budget and I can, as you said, if I have enough planning, I can really think about how to bring this to life in very creative ways. The one movie it reminds me of, we had a much smaller budget who did a really good job, very similar to this, was like the Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project was like near enough. I think they had less than like 200,000 in terms of overall movie budget. And their marketing budget was really, really small as well. And they became one of the biggest movies of all time because of the marketing that they did for that movie. So it just shows if you're actually really creative and you can plug into the internet culture, what Blair Witch did is they created all these kind of microsites around the legend of Blair Witch. They look really real and they did all these kind of news videos to make it look like there was like real news segments on the kind of people going missing in Blair Witch. 
And you couldn't tell the difference between was that, you know, back in the day where misinformation was a little bit less pervasive online, you couldn't tell the difference, like, is this true or not? And just shows you like creativity and marketing is so underestimated. And when you nail it and plug into the popular culture, you can accelerate the success of your brand, product, whatever it may be. Yeah. So if you're watching this, I think the number one thing you're probably saying is like, it's cool. Like what they did is awesome, but I don't have that money. I can't do that. And what I'm telling you is it's not about the money. It's about a few things. One, it's about planning and orchestration. The second thing is about, it's about knowing your story and telling it in different and creative ways. Like that's what they really did. That Malibu Barbie house, that was core to the Barbie story. Like there's literally a Malibu Barbie house that they sold years and years ago, right? They built it, they decorated it. It wasn't that they just like, set up an Airbnb Barbie house and threw a pink paint on it. It was, they built the slide, they had the kin balloons in the pool. Like every little detail relative to the story was perfect. And that's what happens. What happens is small companies think they don't have enough money to focus on the details, so they just don't bother. Big companies outsource to agencies, do a bunch of things. They don't stay close enough to the details and get clarity on the story. So they fail and they just throw a bunch of money on media, normally after some type of commercial. And that's not enough. And that's why the blend of experiential, out-of-home TV with really great storytelling is what really set this apart. And Kieran, I want to talk about something pretty controversial with you right now, which is to build a great brand you got to go all in. You and I, we cut our teeth in marketing on demand generation. And you know, in demand generation, what you do is you take a little bit of money and you run a test. And you're like, oh, that tests work. I can spend some more money. And then all that, that keeps working. I can spend some more money. And you gradually invest, right? And you iterate over time. Brand, and if you look at what Barbie did, is the exact opposite of iteration, right? They made a bet. They said, hey, at this point in time, we are going to launch this movie and we are going to orchestrate all of these experiences, all of these steps leading up to that movie to make it big. They didn't say, oh, hey, we're going to experiment with these couple of things and that's all we're going to do. It's like, we have to make this big. We have to seed popular culture. And if we can't seed popular culture, we will fail. And that, regardless of the size of your business, if you can't seed your brand with your audience, you do not have enough focus, enough time coordination to make that message resonate, you're going to fail. Like you cannot iterate on brand marketing. Do you agree with me? If you look at how consumer brands measure the impact of their marketing, there's three core models. There's multi-touch attribution, marketing mix model, and there's this conversion of studies. So multi-touch attribution, we kind of all understand. Like it's like you wait mm-hmm. different touches before someone converts on something. In this case, maybe buying a cinema ticket and you wait the different touch points they had before they bought that cinema ticket. And then you kind of like figure out what the return on investment of each of those touch points is. Marketing mix model is like a little more complex. And then conversion life studies are basically go dark in certain states, turn marketing on in certain states and look at the conversion uplift and those things. I think that one of the things you could argue is demand generation will have to have more consumer measurement over time because of privacy, because of all of these regulations coming in. It's going to be harder for us to like put the dollar in and get the $3 out or even quantify the dollar in and get $3 out. Mm-hmm. I was in a meeting yesterday and we were talking about this. We we're talking about measuring brand awareness. We we're talking about these models. We we're talking about measuring consideration. And what I basically said is, look, if you look at the competition in direct response at as well as the changes of data privacy measurement and direct response. A lot of the direct response spend is moving closer to the brand side of the spectrum. 
right? It's like, oh, I'm going to advertise more on YouTube and I'm going to look at the impact of YouTube ads on my branded search, on my traffic for given products, that type of thing, right? On the flip side, on the brand side of things, it's actually moving closer to direct response where it's saying like, oh, the cost of brand media is actually pretty reasonable, but there's a ton of competition, but brand measurement's getting a little better. And if I can move it closer to direct response, have creative that is more focused on a monetized event, whether it be a movie like Barbie, whether it be a B2B product launch, whatever it may be, like that's what's going to happen. And so the visual I'd leave everybody with is the best money you can spend is in the overlap of the Venn diagram between those two circles, right? The If you can spend your money on direct response that has a brand impact and brand money that has a direct response impact, then you will have kind of the highest monetizable way to spend your advertising dollars. And if you're a big company and you have lots of money, you'll need to spend beyond that overlap and you'll have to figure out how to allocate your capital. If you are a small, medium-sized business, you're probably not going to get outside of that overlap. And it's just going to be the most efficient place to spend your money. Isn't the overlap not brand and demand gen? It's like brand messaging and product positioning. That they're one and the same. Like, Because demand gen is like very focused on like product messaging, right? Like That's how you capture Mm -hmm. demand and then you actually convert that demand. And so you really have like brand messaging and product positioning. And, so, and and a lot of companies are separate, but the brand messaging is like this higher purpose and the product positioning is like very focused on the benefits in your customer's language of like the benefits yeah. that they get from that product. And actually being able to like spend money in the kind of center of, is like how you can collapse your brand position and product positioning. So it kind of makes sense together. And I know, I this, is about the, that hold on, this is my hot take. My hot take here is that if your brand and product position are separate, like you're saying, that you just have a brand and product messaging platform. Like they should all tie together and be super well, tie, tight. I'm not saying they don't tie together, but there's just the altitude, right? Like like HubSpot, you have Grow Better, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not your product positioning. That's your brand position. Grow Better is not our brand positioning. It's our mission. Right. You know, the brand positioning is a level of deeper, which is like, how do you help companies grow better? And for us, we help companies grow better through enabling better connection. And so if you look at our brand campaign, it's like, oh, cool, we're going to talk about connection, but we can talk about connection through the lens of very specific products is the point I'm making, right? Like you can connect your brand value proposition and your product value proposition in one ad. It is possible. People do it all the time. We'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love, Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice. Nudge is fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest-growing business podcast. If you want an MBA's worth of insight one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love the show because it's filled with repeatable proven studies, not hearsay and one-off success stories. You're going to love the show because I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. I'm saying that that is what I would do. It's like, yeah. usually the brand lives above like the core product positioning. Which, what I'm saying is like, I feel like 
the Venn diagram that you drew out, which is like the brand and demand chain, is much more around like the brand positioning and the product positioning. And what you're, I think, arguing, if you collapse those two things together, the ads that live in the middle are going to be much more successful or like things are moving in that direction where a lot of your budget is actually going to be in the middle, like not a brand budget, not a demand gen budget focused on product positioning, but actually a singular budget where you can collapse that positioning into like one thing that makes sense for the consumer. I agree with you and disagree with you. What parts do you agree with? What parts do you disagree with? When I originally gave you my Venn diagram, I was more thinking about the types of media you're going to buy. Right, okay. And I was thinking about the results you were going to drive with that media. And if that's the case, if that's how you're looking at it, then what you're saying is true. To drive the results, you need to have that type of messaging. I look at it as like a per medium thing. Like if you're buying, we'll, we'll pretend I'm in Ireland, I'm buying an ad on like a, a soccer match. Somebody from that 30 second ad is not going to understand like the five core benefits of HubSpot CRM, right? You What you essentially want is like, you want to say like, oh, hey, you're a sales leader. You know HubSpot has this awesome sales tool. You should go check it out, right? That's like the purpose of that ad. Where like the purpose of a direct response ad, a different ad format, maybe like on Instagram or Facebook is like, hey, you already have that awareness. You kind of know HubSpot does that. You meant to check it out, but you forgot. And it's like, oh, here's a reminder. Here's this ad in my feed. I'm going to go click and check it out. That's that's kind of what I was pushing. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think what you're talking through is the altitude, which is, are you aware of what we do? Are you aware of the benefits we have? But I think coming back to where we started this on the Barbie campaign, like Barbie is the product, to your point, a lot of the things they did lived in the middle, which is it's really for people who are kind of bought into the brand like the Malibu house, the theme parties, they had this whole thing in LA where you could go with your friends and do a whole night out. And I don't know, it was like a restaurant or places you could have drinks around Barbie. They had, the billboard was literally just like the color pink and then the date that the <laughs> movie was being released. So again, like kind of living in the middle of like the brand and product positioning where you have people aware of the brand, bought into the brand, and then you're trying to position in the product for them, reminding them of the house, reminding them of the color, reminding them of all the things that they recall and remember and find you know, have fun memories about that brand. Yeah, exactly. And if you are out there and you're like, hey, I'm not Mattel, what the heck do I do to build my brand? Well, why we wanted to do the show today was to break down what I think was one of the most iconic examples of great brand marketing I have seen in the last decade. But I want to break it down in an actionable way for all of you. The things that they did well, they had a long lead time. They planned around a very clear mission story brand platform. Once you know what your story is and you're willing to give yourself a long enough lead time, I don't care how much money you have to spend, you can build real momentum around your brand. Mattel did that with Barbie. You can do that with whatever your product or service is. The second part here is that they spent money in unconventional ways. They invested in experience. They invested in nostalgia. They were deeply connected to their customer and what their customer would want, where their customer lived in the world, how their customer operated. And we're basically just able to integrate themselves into their life. You can do the same thing if you understand your customer enough, again, regardless of how much money you spend. Third thing that they did is they went big. They didn't say, hey, I'm going to kind of dance around. I'm going to do a couple of small things and see if it works, but I don't want to waste money. If you're going to build a brand, you're going to have to make a real investment. And that real investment isn't an absolute number of dollars. It's, oh, 
I'm going to put a real percentage of the dollars I do have in my marketing towards building a real brand. And I'm going to do that in a thoughtful and coordinated way. The other thing they did is that they were very clear on the measurement and success. They knew that if they got this movie to take off, that it would be the halo effect they need to sell toys, products, everything that they were looking to accomplish in their business. And you can do the same. Make sure that brand marketing isn't just to get attention and you can't monetize that attention. The best brand marketing is connected to a product or a event or a moment in time that is going to drive your business forward. And that is what the keys and my big takeaways from this campaign actually were. Kieran, anything else? Anything else that you want to share around the Barbie movie, the Barbie marketing campaign? Anything you think I missed there? No, I think this, we've talked about this on the show before, which is marketing, in particular in B2B, has become a lot of science. And I think this is a great example of creativity still matters, execution still matters, thinking big still matters, and taking big bets still matters. Yes. Now, I will say that the average lifetime for a CMO in consumer companies is like 12 to 18 months for the very reason that they actually go big, spend a ton of money on brand, and they're either right or wrong, probably like 50, 50% of the time they're like right, wrong, yeah. and then you get fired or you get like <laughs> a big fat bonus. So the Barbie marketing team, big fat bonus. On another occasion, maybe <laughs> it goes completely wrong and they get all laid off. But these are sometimes the, uh, you know, the risk you take when you want to do great work. And I think this is a great example of like, having to take risks, doing great work. But there's thoughtful risks and there's non-thoughtful risks. Right. The Barbie's team was calculated. They were very clear about what the inputs were and what the inputs of all of their work were going to add up to. And they didn't know 100% certain if it was going to work, but they had the inputs there to maximize their chance of success. Most brand marketing that fails is just people aren't clear on the inputs. They're doing things that are scatterbrained. They're all over the place. They're not calculated. They're not looking at the whole picture to say, hey, do all of these things stack up to where I want to go, to the brand that I want to build, to the momentum I want to build with this audience? And when they do, more often or not, they work. They might not work as big or as well as the person doing them wanted them to, but they do work because you've controlled the inputs into that work. Right. And they'll 10x the return on that 150 million. When you actually add in merchandise as well, it's going to be a pretty oh. Well, pretty in like six months, we'll do, a we'll do like a quick follow-up and it'll be bananas the monetization, the ROI on that $150 million will be crazy. So I'm pumped for it. Again, we tip our hats. We give a round of applause to the folks at Mattel and Barbie. Thanks for inspiring us. Thanks for doing great marketing. And we'll see you real soon on Marketing Against the Grain. 